This is called sharing the gospel behind closed doors. It's also called listening to a conference behind a pillar. Uh, <laughs> actually, I've done this room before, and it, it makes you a little schizophrenic. It's like, um, or like, what's that called? Binocular vision, where you've got some kind of visual field defect. Um, my name is Chuck, uh, Charles Fielding. I go by Chuck. You're allowed at any point to raise a question or say you're wrong. I mean, I might not acknowledge you, but you can say whatever you want to say. Uh, so we're going to get started. Um, we're supposed to have, like, video and stuff, but I got a Macintosh, and apparently you can't do that yet. So I thought this country was more up-to-date than that. <laughs> right? I figured I'd go overseas. 20 years, you come back, and you would have solved the Mac, non-Mac problem. <laughs> so while I was gone, what were y'all doing? Playing <laughs> videos. <laughs> Call of Duty. Let's pray before we get started, because I feel like we're going in a bad direction. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I thank you for an uh, opportunity to uh, get together as uh, brothers and sisters in Christ and to talk about what you're doing among the nations, to... Um, to learn from one another. Father, we do lay down our lives before you and we pray that you will make us into the people that you need us to be for your glory and that you will give us the spiritual gifts and the intellectual gifts and the personality gifts that we need to make a difference uh, for the nations for all of eternity. And I ask this in the name of our Savior and our King, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, um, Michelle and I, Michelle is my wife, and I had a great picture. She's so cute. Uh, but we don't have the picture, so I'm going to tell you. She's really cute, especially like her little fuzzy pink pajamas. And, um, oh, sorry, mixed crowd. Uh, I've got two kids. Caleb is 19 and six foot one, and he's like perfect. And Mich- Mallory is 17, and, uh, and she's perfect as a girl. And so God has really blessed me in a great way. So Michelle and I went overseas in 1995 when Caleb was like the size of a loaf of bread and Mallory was not invented yet. Um, got, we were in Pakistan a couple of years. We thought we'd be there for 40 years. Uh, we were kicked out in two years because apparently I'm CIA. I didn't know. <laughs> That's what they told me. Then we went to India for a couple of years. And then God sent us to Cyprus. And God sent us to Istanbul. And God sent us to Jordan for six years. And I thought for sure we would stay there. And my kids would graduate high school. Because I had a house with a fireplace. And I didn't want to leave Jordan. And um, thanks, guys. Thank you so much. And we ended up going to Ethiopia. uh, And we were there for two years. And so... I, I wish that I could teach a class on, you know, how to stick to a job. <laughs> and, and, like, I, you can always tell my personality, I am, like, the attention deficit doctor. Um, and that's the way my life has been, and that was not my intention. Throughout that uh, journey, uh, God let us meet amazing missionaries, learn from different people doing things in different places. I got a traveling job where I was a, a strategist, so I'm a medical doctor, and we learned that you can use medicine to get the gospel into closed places, and then when it started working, I was like, I'm going to take this on the road, and I'm going to teach non-medical missionaries how to do this, and I got to do that in uh, across most of North Africa and a lot of the Middle East and, and Afghanistan and a little bit in Iran, like I said, India and Pakistan, so, so God let me go a lot of places and let me learn a lot of stuff. And most of my stuff relates to Muslims. Um, I know I've done a little bit of work with Hindus, but they kind of make me crazy. I just don't get the Hindu worldview. Uh, Buddhists, I've tried to zero on that one, a goose egg, because you know you talk about eternal life, and they're like, I don't want to be reincarnated forever. <laughs> so, but Muslim work, I, I've, this is where I've got most of my experience. So I'm, so I'm going to talk about sharing the gospel. And it says behind closed doors, but it's, it's behind closed doors mostly with Muslims. I'll show you the cute pic, the picture, and, and you're going to see I'm not a liar. Look how cute they are! <laughs> so that was in Germany at some kind of a conference. 
I wanted to talk about uh, just unengaged, unreached people groups first. So you learn some skills. We're going to talk about about tools to put in your toolbox. So I'm on I'm on faculty of a, a family practice residency in Memphis, Tennessee, because uh, we've been overseas for 18 years, and it turns out medicine has advanced a little bit while we were gone. So I came back to like you retread tires, and I'm getting retread. I'm being so I'm learning some of the new things. It turns out I've been holding EKGs upside down for 15 years. <laughs> I didn't know, you know. <laughs> So I'm learning a lot of stuff. Uh, most of it's still same. same. I mean, there's still just male and mainly female, and there's pediatrics. Some of the basics haven't changed. But anyway, I'm learning new stuff. Um, and while we're here, I'm, I get the, the honor of teaching residents, and here's our, two of our residents, and there may be some more in the room. And it's, it's a great joy for me. And I just keep talking about... A surgeon has got a Mayo tray, a surgical tray, and he's got all these different instruments on it. And he knows, at this point, I need this. And at this point, I need this. And I need this. And he gets really cranky when he can't find his favorite medicine bomb scissors or they're not right or whatever. He wants all the right tools. And his family doctors and pediatricians and stuff like that, we have a, a bag with the right kind of tools that we know how to use at the right time. Some of the stuff that God let me learn, I found out I was sticking in a medical bag and I would pull out different tools in different situations. So a missionary would teach me some technique about uh, witnessing and I'd just stick it in my memory bank in this little bag. So I'm not going to tell you like exactly how to win a Muslim to Christ or whatever because I don't think there is a, a silver bullet. There's not a one-way-fits-all. But you you stick a lot of things in your bag and then when you're witnessing, the Lord brings a lot of things to mind. I want to make sure I really emphasize how vital it is to know and love your Bible. Every time I witness, God will say, and now I'll tell the parable of the sower of the seeds. And I love that parable. And I start and I get to the second seed and I'm like, man, I hope I can remember the last two seeds. But I can because I've read it 10,000 times and the Holy Spirit brings it to mind. But it's because I know and I love my Bible. And God says, now tell the story of the woman at the well. And you better know that story. So you have to know how to tell stories. But you also got to know your Bible well enough to know what, you know, where to go. So some of these other techniques are going to be like that. We're going to stick them in a medical bag. But let's say you've got all these techniques, all these kind of things, and you're, let's say you're a surgeon and you got all the tools, and then you just go and operate where you want to. It's like, I've always been fascinated with the left kneecap. I'm always going to operate there. But really, this is a patient with, you know, right lower quadrant pain. Having the tools is great, but you got to know where to use them, and you got to be strategic about where to use them. And this is my big thing, and, and, I, and, I'm, and I started to say I'm sometimes very ugly about it, but you know we can just omit the word sometimes from that center, sentence. Uh, I'm very ugly about it, um, but I'm a doctor talking to mainly doctors and other medical people, and you know how we can be kind of brusque sometimes because the truth is important, and doing being smart is important. We are strategists. As medical people, we're used to looking at a lot of clue, clues and, and deciphering what goes in what direction, what to throw out and what to keep and what is smart, and coming up with a differential diagnosis, and then instituting a treatment plan, and then watching and make sure it works, and continuing following through with the treatment plan. And if it's not working, we change our, our tactics. Okay, that's what we're good at. The missions, the, the evangelical church is dying for that kind of thinking when it comes to missions, when it comes to being church. What is the purpose of the church? What are we doing here? Where are we going? What is the mission of the church? All right, we can be that voice. We can stand up and say, well, you know what? The Bible says that the earth is under a curse and the curse will be lifted when Jesus returns. But Jesus will not return until this gospel of the kingdom has been preached as a testimony to pantata ethne, to all nations. And then the end will come. So if you don't like Ebola, and you don't like AIDS, and you don't like adultery, and you don't like all the horrible things of the earth, war, how do you put an end to it? This gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. It's important to deal with the symptoms of the cancer. 
The curse on the earth is a cancer. And we have to deal with Ebola, and we have to deal with AIDS, and we have to deal with homelessness and all these kinds of issues. But they're symptoms. Mostly, we've got to go after the curse. We've got to go after the main thing. So it's malpractice to just treat the symptoms and not focus on the tumor that's killing the patient. It's malpractice as strategists, as evangelical strategists, to focus on just the symptoms. Oh, there's poor people right here in Memphis. Yeah, but come with me to Ethiopia. I'll show you poverty. And come with me to to where ISIS is killing people, and I'll show you tragedy. So there's always something that can trump the badness that you're seeing right in front of you. And so it's important to care about those things, but let's go for the heart of the dragon. Let's go for, let's get squirt guns and charge the gates of hell if that's what it takes to advance the knowledge of the gospel, uh, 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 the knowledge of the Lord, the knowledge of the glory of God, which we understand mainly through the gospel story. I mean, when you see the gospel, you see a glorious God. Most people don't, a third of the earth has no access to that to the knowledge of the glory of God and they don't know about the gospel and therefore they don't have an opportunity to pass from darkness into light guys it's it's our obligation to do something about that because we're disciples and we're saved it's our double obligation to get to the hardest places because God has given us the gift of being doctors and nurses and physical terrorists and whatever kinds of things God has given us as gifts. I apologize. I think they're awesome. They just scare me a little bit. <laughs> like, no, not again. <laughs> yes, it hurts when you do that. <laughs> All right, so here's an example. Here's an example of what the world is like. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all nations and then the end of the suffering and the end of the curse will come. But there's 25 million people in Saudi Arabia, and as far as we know, there's no known churches. That's not. We're not talking about church buildings. Overseas, when I get five or five or six people come to the Lord and they're gathering together as a group of disciples and worshiping Jesus and recognizing one another as a body, that's a church. No building, no charter, no denominational name, no paid staff, no choir robes, no flashy lights. It's a church. Six people. As far as we know, there's not one in Saudi Arabia or in Yemen or in Kuwait or in Qatar or in Bahrain. I mean, this this slide could be wrong. It really could. But what if it was wrong by 10%? <laughs> you know, which is a lot. I mean, that'd still be pitiful. 25 million people and... Ten churches. Twenty churches. Twenty-five million people. That's like Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, Arkansas, Mississippi, all in one. And what if there was like ten churches with ten people in each? That's just wrong. It's just wrong. So this is an example of how how inappropriately our evangelical resources are deployed. We got it all stacked up in one place. We like to get the bread of life all packed into a storehouse while while a third of the world is starving. And that's what I'm always ugly about and I'm always going to be stick it in your face because I'm trying to always stick it in my own face. Chuck, do not be comfortable here. Advance, advance, charge. All right? So I'm just a mean old cranky crotchety old man. <laughs> and a doctor, which makes it worse. And I've been in therapy and doesn't help. Here's a slide of, of people groups, people groups, ethno-linguistic groups uh, that have no engagement, no missionaries, no working among them. Look how many are in Chad. Molly and I were just talking about Chad. Just a packed. Molly lives over here. Look how many are in Sudan. One or two in Eritrea, Kuwait, Ethiopia, Saudi Arabia, Oman, India, blah, blah, blah. Northern Africa and Asia, Southern Asia. These are people groups. These are not these are not individuals. This is not community. These are not population centers. This is an entire ethno-linguistic group. It could be the Tahama people over here are four million people with no known evangelists. Four million with no known evangelical witness. How wrong is that? Whose responsibility is that? Well, that's our responsibility. 
is our obligation. We've, we've been given everything, like health and education and, and all these things. And then we've got the knowledge of God's grace, the knowledge of the gospel, and, and the capacity to move it. That means go, go, go. All right, so here's another slide. And this is the unreached peoples. So some of these have got some missionaries. And they maybe have a Jesus film or two, but it's still pretty bad. Okay? India looks really, really packed. The good news about India is I used to live there, and there are tens of thousands or maybe hundreds of thousands born-again Indians that want to reach their own nation. It's just it's kind of a statistical anomaly. There's 1.1 billion people or something like that in India. So statistically, it looks very, very unreached. But it's kind of happening, hopefully, before our eyes. China was just as red as India when I started 20 years ago. Look what the Chinese have done reaching their own nation. So I'm hoping the same thing's going to happen with India. But we can look into the future and know that's not really happening in a lot of northern Africa, the Middle East, a lot of uh, Afghanistan. All right? So that's where the problem is. All right, so let's move on to some tools to, that, that we can utilize. If, if we get to Iran and, and we can speak Persian and we've got the right kind of person in front of us, okay, what are we going to do about it? So let me give you, let's talk about some tools. Uh, first, I want to tell you a story about when, when I got started, however many years ago, 18 years ago, I think, I was told by missionaries, research shows that it takes a Muslim five, at the earliest, to 15 years to come to Christ. And there were stories after stories, and I would interview born-again Muslims, and they would go like, oh, yes, I was introduced to the gospel by this little pamphlet, and then this happened, this happened. And then nine years later, 14 years later, all these stories, I finally made a commitment to Christ. And it was just what I was told was, was normal. Well, it was normal, but it just didn't seem to line up with what was going on in the Bible. And I was like, well, I know that I'm not going to be any smarter or any t- more talented than anybody else, but I don't want to put God in a... And they didn't want to put God in a box either. They would always say, God can do anything. But here's what the way it looks right now in 1996. Y'all, there used to be this thing called the 90s. Most of y'all have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> Let me tell you about the 70s sometime. <laughs> okay, we that was so fun, we did it twice. So that was the reality, and but we were all like... God can do more than that, right? God started doing something in different places, and so that was not really my experience as a missionary. So we got kicked out of Pakistan. We went to on the on the the same people group. Our people group was the Kashmiri, and they were refugees in Pakistan, where we could access them in a peaceful country, or they were in war on the India side. Well, we got kicked out of the peaceful side, so we decided to take now our toddler and our infant and go to the war zone on the India side to reach Kashmiris. And we got there, and, and I was telling somebody at lunch today, a couple of guys came to my house, and they said, we're, we're Christians, can you teach us about Christ? And I said, what makes you think I'm a Christian? And they said, all of our doctors packed up and moved to America to escape the war zone. You came from America with your family into a war zone and are helping the people in the mountains. You've got to be a Christian. I thought I was pretty good. I said, okay, you pegged me. I mean, it's not that I wanted to hide my Christianity. I just wanted to know what, what's the community saying about us. Um, and so they were, I said, yeah, I'll disciple you. We, we're going up the mountains, and while we drive, if you'll go as a volunteer translator, I'm never going to pay you, but if you'll go as a volunteer and help us help the poor in the mountains, we'll talk about Jesus all the way up and all the way back. And, and these guys would learn that little didactic stuff. That wasn't what was important. What was important was when we got into, um, we started going house to house. So we would do free medical clinics and see as many sick people as we could. But we also started going house to house and doing um, maybe some personal visits on the elderly and some of the chronic diseases. And we were also teaching people how to prevent diseases. And we were doing things like, let's worm every child in the community and teach them how to prevent worms. That means we have to go to every home. Because getting behind closed doors is the key to witnessing the Muslims. It's it's um, it's just inappropriate to talk about this in in the open. It's treasonous information. The gospel is treasonous information from the worldview of a, of a Muslim. And so we had to get if God was working on their heart and they really wanted to know, they couldn't even think about it in public. So we had to get behind closed doors. And I define clo- behind closed doors is any place where intimate conversations can take place. 
And when I think about that, I think of the story of Nicodemus. And his closed doors was just coming at night. Okay? So it doesn't have to be literal closed doors. It's just where... I just called it behind closed doors because I needed it to start with the letter B because I did the ABCs of strategy. So behind closed doors, it's figurative closed doors. Um, we started going into homes. And I was in a home and there were six people. And Mushtaq was with me and he's a born-again guy. And Mushtaq was translating because I speak Urdu, but not great. And Mushtaq, uh, they speak Kashmiri in the mountains. And so I started telling the gospel. And I, over 25 minutes, something like that, and 20 minutes into it, I realized five people in the room are crying. And they're sobbing the exact way that I sobbed 40 years ago when I heard the gospel. At that time, it was 20 years ago, but I sobbed like a baby with, with joy in my heart. First, brokenhearted that humanity had done this to Christ, but joy in my heart that I know God is talking to me right now. I've never experienced the Holy Spirit of God. This is a real supernatural experience. I was on cloud nine, and then when I find out that I, I get salvation because of the blood of Christ, I was sobbing. These people were sobbing. And so I you know, thought, you know, this is good. <laughs> and so I asked them, uh, would you like to repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ? And five out of the six of them said yes. And so we bowed and, and we prayed and I helped him pray. And, and then the next day, Mushtaq went to see. I couldn't go back two days in a row because it's really suspicious if I go back a couple of days in a row. But Mushtaq went back and, and the, the, the gospel began to move throughout those areas. And the main thing was Mushtaq got a passion for sharing the gospel and he started sharing with others. And Fayaz and, and Jelani and all these guys started sharing with other people. And, and we had dozens of dozens and we ended up counting like we thought it was 200. Later we were told about 300 Muslims came to Christ in 18 months. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And God does his thing. And just don't be afraid. Don't, don't ever let fear trump faith. Live by faith and believe that God will do it today the same way He does it in the book of Acts. And I think that's kind of what caught into me. It was like, okay, I'm living the book of Acts. The book of Acts is not finished. That's what I'm doing. I'm doing it just like those guys. I couldn't believe that God would use a peon like me compared to the guys in the book of Acts. But I also felt like if I think that way that I'm putting down God and the, and the fact that God knows me as intimately and loves me as much as He did James and John and Peter. And so it's like, that's the kind of God that I know. And, and the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. And it's the Act of the Holy Spirit. And yeah, same stuff. Same stuff that applied then applies now. And so that's an opening story to tell you. It doesn't have to be 5 to 15 years People can come to Christ in 20 and 30 minutes. Muslims can come to Christ in less than an hour. Commonly, people will, will hear the gospel and they'll cry, but then they'll say, no, I don't want to come to Christ now. And they'll come back within a week to two weeks and say, okay, I've thought about it and I know what, I know what it's going to cost me and I'm ready to die for this thing. Because that's how much it costs. You know, For us, it's like, oh, i got to get out of hell free card. It didn't cost me anything. In fact, it might benefit me because I get new social circles and business contacts. Over there it costs everything. So you keep that in mind when you witness. I'm off on a little bit of a tangent. Let's talk about, about tools. Alright, so I've got two favorite tools. And I just feel like they're the cornerstones that you should have in your bag and they're really obvious. Um, but there's there's lots of little bitty things like knowing how to story tell, knowing certain stories of the Bible and just knowing them start to finish can be really beneficial and you need to put them in your bag. And I don't know why I always point to my right knee when I do that. Apparently I think carrying my bag with my right hand. But there's a bag that you want to put tools in. Here's two of them. The first one is, uh, I call it my Jesus story. You can call it my faith story. You can call it my testimony. I, I, I don't use testimony because it's kind of a, a Christian-y word. Um, but it, it's, your, it's your story about Christ. And here's an easy way to learn it. You probably have told your testimony over and over. I can't tell you how valuable it is. A testimony done the right way, it's so valuable. And, and when we do go through it right now, you're about to find out why. Okay, so when I want to teach others and when I want to get good at it myself, I go to the story of Paul before King Agrippa. At the very end of the book of Acts, 
Paul is in jail, and he's been in jail for a couple of years, and now he's brought before the king. And the king says, tell me your story. All right, now he's about to tell his, test, his testimony about his life in Christ. Well, what a great place to go and learn how to tell a testimony, right? So he hits three key points. I'm just going to tell you what they are right off the bat. He, well, I'll tell you the story first. Paul said, oh, great king, blah, blah, blah. I'm so glad I get to talk to you. You're so smart. Mm, kisses up for a little while. <laughs> and then he says, um, which, oh, by the way, doesn't hurt when you're witnessing the Muslims. Um, he says, oh, king, anybody can tell you, I was a very religious Pharisee. And a good man, so good and zealous in my, in my, in my zeal for the Lord, I, I was so aggressive that I hunted down Christians and threw them in jail. Okay, that's his life bef- before he met Jesus. Like two bullet points. You go look at it. It's, not, it's like that long on, a, on, on the Bible. So it's just a couple of bullet points. I was a good religious man, so zealous for the Lord that I was hunting down Christians and throwing them in jail. Then he says... I met Jesus when he spoke to me and said, you will be my servant to take the gospel to, uh, to, to Gentile nations. That's how, how he met Jesus. One or two bullet points. Therefore, King, I did not disobey the voice from heaven, but since then I've been going everywhere trying to tell people to be reconciled to God. That's his life after meeting Jesus. Three bullet points. And I think Val said it today. The third one is the big one. How did this change you? So what? Uh, you had a religious experience. I mean, people, you know, they, there's a thousand religions out there, okay? But if it changed you for 40 years, 40 years in Christ this year, and I'm more passionately in love with Jesus Christ and more nuts and more ready to go to jail and have my head chopped off for Jesus than I ever was before, hey, that's worth knowing about. See, it's got, it's got value because it changed my life. So lay on the third point. So what was your life before you met Jesus? Be sure to say, I was a sinner. Or say, d- demonstrate it. I like, I was a liar and I even stole stuff. And I did not know God and didn't care about God. That's just enough. You don't have to say, well, when I was 12 and when I was 13. You don't have to throw it over with... Too many, too many uh, details, right? You've got those in your bag, and if it's appropriate to bring them out, you can do it. But you want to make sure if you're in a taxi cab and you've got three minutes or six minutes, you hit the main points. I'm going to say, well, you know what? I was not raised up knowing God. I was a sinful person, and I was caring about myself. But then I heard the gospel message of Jesus Christ, and I met God when his voice spoke to me and said, this is true. That's my story. And I was so overwhelmed from the voice that ever since that day, I've been doing everything I can to let everyone know about salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. Can, do you want to know more about this story? See, it's about that simple. Now, in real life, if I've got those bullet points, two of my life before I met Jesus, two about how I met Jesus, two about my life, how it's been changed by Jesus... If I get in a situation where we're camping and we got two hours or something like that, I can stretch it out as long as I want to. If I'm in a storytelling culture, then I can say, my father was an atheist. He told me that there is no God. And I believe that all my life. And that, So I can stretch it out if I want to. But I'm going to hit those bullet points. All right? So that's a nice tool for your toolbox. What do you think about that one? Any questions or comments or complaints or criticisms or anything else that starts with a C or Q? Is this my water? <laughs> All right. What do y'all think about that one? How about some feedback? Is it? Have y'all done that before? Yeah, man. What's up, Alex? Uh, I actually think that. I mean, we talked about this before. Yeah. But like actually sharing your Jesus story has, at least for me, when I do it, it's it's actually pretty. Uh, impactful on people. Yeah. Usually people want to know more or something like that. It, it's, instead of just like going straight into the gospel or something it, like that. Like it, yeah. It, it opens people up. It's actually very I think it's, it's a good one to have in your bag. Sometimes you're going to use it. Sometimes you're not. But be prepared and have it. Right? We make our residents 
when they take their community health rotation and they prayer walk their neighborhoods and they talk to people about health needs, okay, one of the requirements is you have to share your Jesus story five times. And we take that rotation twice. I want to make sure they practice it in English because someday they're going to be doing it in Arabic. Okay? Uh, next one is what we call C to C, creation to Christ. All right? So this is just a, a, a nice way to share the gospel. And, and I've had training in four spiritual laws, and I've had training in evangelism explosion, and all these kinds of techniques, and they're all great. I mean, I use pieces of all of them all the time. Okay? Now, there is a danger of saying, I'm just going to be an academician, and I'm just going to go from conference to conference, and I'm going to study, and I'm going to study. And then what? When you go, when you die, you're going to score better on the final exam? You know, it's like we're, we're collecting this information for a reason. So that we can take the gospel to one of these places, and we can make disciples and teach those disciples how to multiply. And then when we're kicked out, we're going to leave something behind that grows. The Bible says that Paul and Barnabas went to the town of Pisidian Antioch and they preached the gospel in the synagogue and then they were invited to come back the next week and they were so popular that the entire city showed up. And there's a big argument because the Gentiles were listening and the Jews got jealous because all these Gentiles were coming. So there's a big fight and Paul and Barnabas said, it said that they, some people got saved and then they got kicked out. So I'm counting up the weeks and like, they're there maybe three weeks. Maybe if there's some time in there that didn't get mentioned, okay, maybe it's three months. I don't think it was. Okay, they get kicked out. Next line says, and the gospel spread throughout the entire region. Do you see the power of the gospel? It's like yeast. Once it gets into the right place, it just runs. Okay, it's our responsibility to get it started. And, and we're down to the hard places, by the way. I don't know if y'all check, but Grand Cayman is reached. Because I, I looked for unreached people groups, and I cannot. So everything that's easy and everything that's fun is done. And we're down to what we I like to say is like the killer Muslims of the Sahara Desert. How do you market something like that? You know, it's we're down to hard, ugly, mean places. The good news is most of it's done. Look at the resources that, look at the prayer resources and the teaming resources and the media resources and the transportation and the affluence that we've got today. We could knock this sucker out in a three day weekend if we would deploy our resources appropriately. I am not lying. There's two billion people on the earth that call themselves Christians. There's less than two billion people that that have never been reached with the gospel, and the Bible doesn't say everyone's going to hear. So it's like a one-to-one ratio. So, who's ready to go today? Let's go to Saudi. All right, next tool. Um, creation to Christ. Wait, what time do we quit with this thing? I started at 2.45. 3.45. All right, so we'll, I'll just go you know, another five, ten minutes, let you all ask questions, although you didn't have any last time. So think of some questions. Creation to Christ. Let me just fly through it real quick and just kind of show you. Y'all, I put this on the Internet for my course so you, for you to download. And I've been working on this thing for like 15 years, trying to get it more succinct, trying to get it more biblically accurate, trying to get... And it's, it's just not perfect yet. It's just a, always a work in progress. Anybody can go on there and change it. You can email me and say, I like this better. So here's the way that I like to do it because I work with Muslims. And, and I want to tell the story from a way that is biblically accurate but that makes sense to them. All right? So there's certain things that are in the Quran that are also in the Bible. And if they're true, I'm going to say them. If they're not true, I'm not going to say them. So it says that in the Quran, it says that Jesus spoke in the cradle and said, Peace be upon me the day that I was born, and the day that I die, and the day I shall raise again. Okay, I'm not going to say that, because that's just in the Quran. It kind of helps me if I were to say that, because he says, the day that I shall rise again. That says that in the Quran. Yeah, but if I start putting that in my gospel message... Now I'm not being faithful to the gospel. So see, there's a there's a fine line to tread, so be faithful to the gospel. But I'm looking for certain things that overlap. And so Satan overlaps. The story about the fall of man overlaps. Certain things are in both. And if I if I mention those things, then the Muslims, they, they have a better connection to it. So here's the way I start. And I, I always, 
I start and I end with the, with memorized sentences. Because y'all may have noticed, I talk too much. I never shut up. Okay, so if I memorize a starting sentence and an ending sentence, once I get started, I can keep looking at that ending sentence and say, Chuck, move in that direction, move in that direction. Because otherwise, you know, where, who knows where I'll end up, right? So I've memorized what I call bookends, and then I am kind of make up the meat in the middle trying to hit a couple of bullet points. So my first opening sentence is, before God created the heavens and the earth, he created thousands and thousands of angelic beings. And one of them was named Iblis, or Lucifer. And he was intelligent, he was beautiful, and he was given a position of authority. But Iblis began to think in his own heart, I want to be like God. I want to be raised up on a throne, and I want people to worship me. And of course, everything was created to worship God. And so this was a sin. And so God sent Iblis, Lucifer, out of heaven. And then God created the earth, and he created everything in the earth, and the earth was beautiful and had trees and plants and animals. And he created uh, a, a man and a woman, Adam and Hawa, and he put them on the earth. Um, and Ablis, they had, they had a perfect relationship with God. There was no sin, there was no death. Ablis came down, and he deceived the man and the woman, and, and he caused them to disobey God in the same way that he had disobeyed, he confused them and tricked them, and they disobeyed God. And so in the same way that God sent Iblis out of heaven, God separated himself from the man and the woman. And the separation from when he did that, God put a curse on the earth. He said, Cursed is the earth because of you. All your days you'll have difficulty bringing out food from the earth. You'll have pain in childbirth, and we'll have suffering on the earth because of the curse. But at that same time, God gave a promise. And he said, someday I'm going to send a man and he will crush the head of Iblis. He'll put an end to the curse. And then people began to multiply on the earth. And they're separated from God because of the sin in their hearts. And, and, and they, they lived short lives and they died. But they multiplied on the earth and God sent them prophets. And the prophets be- continued to send the message, someday a man will come and he will restore our relationship with God. Someday a man will come and he will break the curse. They even said that this man would be beaten for our sins and that he would be pierced for our sins and crushed for our sins. They said that he would die for our sins. But the prophets also said, amazingly, that this man would raise from the dead. And then it happened, just like the prophet said. A a man was born under miracle circumstances to a virgin and his name was Jesus. And he grew, grew up and he proved that he was the promised one of God by doing great miracles. He made lame people to walk. He made deaf people to hear. He changed the weather. He created matter, bread and fish just by speaking. And took two bread and fish and fed 5,000 people. The same way that God spoke the earth into existence, Jesus spoke matter into existence, proving that he was the sent one of God, the the Messiah, the Messihi, sent to to break the curse and to restore a relationship with God. But just as the prophet said, he was captured by jealous religious leaders and he was tortured and he bled and he poured out his blood like the prophet said and he died. But also, just like the prophet said, he came to life three days later. And that proved that he was the son of God and he was everything that the prophets had said. And Jesus explained, my blood pays for your sins. You can have forgiveness of sins because of my death. If you'll just follow me and become my my disciple, all you have to do is repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ and you'll receive the Holy Spirit of God that will change your life from the inside out. I've done this. God has sent me here to give you this message. So are you ready to repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit? Okay, so I'm not sure how long that took me. Five minutes? Seven? Six? So I can do it in four minutes, and I can do it in, in 94 minutes sometimes. If I'm in a storytelling situation where people like to talk, I slow down, I slow way down, and I don't do it so memorized. But I've got it memorized if I need it fast, kind of memorized. I get the bullet points memorized. All right, so what did y'all think about that? Did that make sense? Was the theology okay? I don't always get my theology right. Yes, sir. 
Yes. Crucifixion? No, no, I usually do, and I'm sorry I missed it this time. I usually laid, at that point, I was raised in young life, and we were like, hit the crucifixion. Hit it for an hour. We would make young people listen to the nails, the blood, the asphyxiation. So I usually lay on the floor and lay my arms out so they can see how big a cross is. Because some Muslims think that a cross is this big and a girl wears it on her neck. And I'm like, how did Jesus die on that thing? Like, over? So I'll usually find a post that's in the room and say, you see this post holding up the roof? This was, it was that big. And then they nailed them together. And then I'll lay down and they'll say, and then they put the nails through here. And when I did that in that house, that first story, that's when everybody started crying. When I said the nails went in. Because I, I put a lot of emphasis on the fact that he was good, he was perfect, he was without sin, and he was a sent one of God. And you just fall in love with Jesus. If you spend enough time on him, people fall in love with him. And then all of a sudden we're killing him by putting nails in his arms. So they cried. Which was like the Holy Spirit gave them spiritual wisdom. He turned on their eyes so they could get it. That's a great one. Any other questions? So on this story, I, I put it in a document on the website, like under this talk. So I don't know if y'all know where that is. Y'all, are, y'all understand the web. It's a worldwide web thing. I'm just kind of hearing about. <laughs> I think it's new, right? So, uh, yes, sir. Mm. And yet, others would say you need to disperse the seed and see who will begin to respond and then get into more detail. We have some viewpoints. No, you nailed it. You're right. There's two viewpoints on it. Um, if I'm going to go with one more, I'm going to go with the second one. And here's kind of why: I don't trust people. I don't trust myself. Satan is going to mess with me. So if I get some idea established in my head that's kind of like conservative on sharing the gospel, Satan's going to like cocoon me in that and just make me less and less and less. And so now I'll only share gospel with my close friends. And you just never get that close to Muslim families. You feel like you're close, but they're going to pick their family and their culture over you every time. And so I've known families that have said that, and actually they've shared the gospel one time in three years. If it could happen to them, it could happen to me. So the other way may be foolish, and I may end up in jail, I may get thrown out, and whatever. But you know what? I just I gotta trust in the sovereignty of God more than trusting in my ability to figure it out. You know, just God's sovereignty. If God's sovereignty doesn't trump my strategy, then we're in trouble. <laughs> so that's that's a way I lean at it. And and I got kicked out for being CIA, not for sharing the gospel. Next country, we almost got kicked out for sharing the gospel, but we didn't. And when I went to the boss mayor guy and I said, is there a problem? Because I, I had a guy come to my house for hours and he had there's like 11 guys with machine guns standing out in my yard questioning me and they questioned Dr. Mike and they, and they interrogated us for two days. What's the problem? And he goes, Dr. Chuck, I'm so sorry. There was a complaint from a religious leader, but we told him that we investigated it thoroughly and that you guys are fine. Now, what do you need from me when you go in the mountains? Do you need security? Do you need walkie-talkies? See, there's going to be complaints from the religious leader. If somebody gets saved, somebody's religious leader is going to get upset. If you're doing godly good things that you promised the government you'd do, you can survive the scrutiny. Or at least that was in our experience. But it does come down. We were written up in the newspapers and all this stuff, and people had to go into hiding. And Frontier's team got to go to Nepal and hide out. And like We didn't have that much money. So we just hunkered down, as we call it in Tennessee. So it's that's the way it goes. Yes, ma'am. I'm curious you um, do this, like, you know, I've repented and asked Jesus, do you want yeah. to? Do you get warnings or threats at that point? I just shared the gospel with a Muslim friend last Monday, and she was like, it's okay that you're telling me this because I'm your friend, but just to warn you, if you were to say any of this to another person, yeah. they would be very angry with you, or if they walked in and hmm. That was in America, right? Yeah. See, I don't understand Islam in America well enough to. It's a different culture. It's a different worldview, and I don't. I don't get it. Um, I have had maybe, maybe rarely something like that, 
rarely, and I just kind of roll with it. Mostly what I do is, I guess all of us old missionaries have learned that we've got these experiences where we push the gospel on somebody that didn't want it. And when their body language is like this, you know, it's like, just stop. Because you're not helping them and you're just driving a wedge in your relationship. So don't even get started. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to sift through as many people as I can and just kind of dangle Jesus. Go, anybody, anybody want this? Anybody want, you know? <laughs> and then I'm looking for somebody to take a bite. And then I'm trying to hook them. So I, I, sh- I share my testimony a fair amount is that bait to see who's interested. And when people cross their arms, they go, well, we're Muslims here. That's the most common response. I'm like, well, God bless you. Can I pray for your family? And I'm looking for the door. Because maybe that day I'll be able to get in enough visits that I get somebody to say, I've waited for years to hear about this. Or I just had a dream about this. Or, you know, our religion says this, but I'm not sure I trust our leaders. You get all kinds of different responses, but you've got to go to a lot of different places to try. Yes, ma'am? Hard. Yeah. Um, so we have people come at night. We have people. We have secret meetings. We've been busted on so many discipleship things that we tried to do like American discipleship. He's like, now I'm going to take you through uh, experiencing God. It's 13 week course. Like, don't do that. Don't do that. Use the Bible. Use just the Bible. And give them a taste. And I mean, we're talking six and seven lessons, you know. Like, I call these, this is the next thing to put in your toolbox. I call them obedience-based lessons. So Jesus said, go make disciples and baptize them and teach them to obey everything I commanded. All right, so what's that? That's a lot, maybe, right? Well, it is a lot. And you have to read the whole New Testament to get it all. And that's the reason I just love my Bible. And I read it over and over. But you can boil it down to certain things that are vital, right? Love one another. Love. So here, I'll run you through those. I didn't plan to do this real quick, but obedience-based lessons. I stole this. I steal most of my stuff from, from smart people, though. I don't, I don't steal from idiots. So I'm giving you guys the best stolen goods. I, I got, there's a guy with YWAM named George Patterson that I think may have done this, and he, 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 he melted it down he calls it the seven commands of Christ. I've heard, I've seen other lists. I like George's the best. But I did tweak it. But you'll see. And then in India, they taught me hand motions. So, the first hand motion is, what are the seven things that Jesus told us to do? Okay, it's, why would it come into seven? So you know it's not eight, it's not six. They probably they twisted the data a little bit, right? To make it seven. So I already don't completely trust it. The point is, you don't have to do it this way. You might come up with the five smartest things. The 14, it depends on your context. If you've got two meetings, think, what do I want them to do? I want them to be baptized. I want them to pray. I don't know what it is. You're going to know. But it's like that sometimes. You meet somebody and they, and you lead them to the Lord on the train. And then you can meet them the next day before they go to somewhere else. And you got one meeting or something like that. That's the reality of some of this. You can trust the Lord because I have no idea how Philip followed up with a eunuch. You know, so I think of that story a lot. Okay, let's do the seven commands of Christ. I don't know. I don't have these on the website. Okay, you can email me, and then I'll send them to you. I think I wrote them out. Oops. Wrong. Oh, what, what beautiful verses. All right. Seven commands of Christ. Number one. I'm going to just fly through them just so you get a vision for them. Repent. Put your faith in Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I don't know if you noticed, but I stuck that into my story a while ago because it just helps me. Are you ready to repent of your sins, put your faith in Jesus, and receive the Holy Spirit? It is kind of what Peter said, right, in Acts 2 or 3 when he gave his major sermon, and they said, oh my gosh, we killed the Messiah. What should we do? And he said, repent and be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. Pretty good. Okay, so repent. Put your faith in Jesus. Receive the Holy Spirit. Number two, I say, be baptized. I am a Baptist. Number three is love. Love God. Love uh, your neighbors. Love the church. And love your enemies. See, that one's got four components to it. The first one and the third one, I've got to 
couple of steps. Uh, number four is pray. Number five is take the Lord's Supper. Number six is give to the needy. George says give to the poor, I think, maybe. I said give to the needy because the Bible talks about give to the needy. So, and number seven is go make disciples. See the little birds going out? Okay, so that's pretty good. And man, when I do that stuff overseas, they love it. Man, in North Africa, the Mauritanians, they love that. And they just took it from house church to house church to house church. Because it's like it's simplifying the Bible for the illiterate people, especially. They're like, oh, teach them to obey everything I command. And you guys get to read it, and I don't. Okay, so this is a great way we can help illiterate peoples or people who are just getting started. And we only get one or two contacts. All right, so you see how you cram more stuff in your bag? Let me close with one more quick story. I want to tell you all about a story about... Um, you know, I may have told this one here one time before. Uh, I was in Darfur, Sudan, and Tom is here. Tom was with me. Where's Tom? Hey, Tom. Okay, so remember, were you there? No, you weren't there. After we left. So we were there for three months, or at least I was with my family, and then we went away for the rainy season, and then I came back by myself for a month. While we were there for three months, we were doing a lot of medical practice, and and we had this kid basically come back from the dead with meningitis and, and ARDS, on Easter Day, and we he healed a lot of people, did a lot of good stuff. But we kept sharing the gospel over and over and over with our translator, but he's the only guy that spoke English, and my Arabic is not that dialect, and it's Mishikwes anyway, which means not good. So, um, so I came back a couple of months later, and I told the guy, the missionary before I left, he was in Khartoum, I said, you got to find us a Christian translator. Okay, I need, so we found an evangelist. Her name is Thana. She's from the Nuba Mountains. She's born again Muslim. So Thana was there with us. So we come back, and like first or second day, we go into this little African restaurant, and uh, there's a curtain there, and it's rocks about this high, and then thatch roof, and so there's about four or five of us, you know, like we're glowing white. We're, something I hate being so white. I mean, look at how white I am. And so we're really, really white in Africa. And we're clean. We're so clean. We're drinking out of American water bottles. And we're just like aliens. And uh, so we sit down. And we and I'm leaning against some guy on the other side. And there's this woman there. And she is a, a heavy Darfurian. I, it's just not possible. <laughs> she's got to have a thyroid problem. She, everybody's malnourished. And she's big and fat. And she says her name is Mama. I told you this story before, Tom. Okay, so her name is Mama. And she's hugging us. You're not supposed to hug a, a guy. Like, it's bizarre. I don't know where this lady came from. but And she's singing Muslim songs over, praise songs over us, cause, because we're the doctors who had been there before helping their people, and we had returned. She was thrilled that she got to be in the restaurant with us. So I said, I said, Mary, I said, uh, Mama, what's your real name? She said, everybody calls me Mama. So Thana is translating for me. And she said, Miriam. Well, Miriam is, the, is a Quranic word for Mary. I said, I don't know, guys, I don't think. You know me. The mouth comes open and I hear the words and I think, I guess I agree with that. You know, like, <laughs> so that's what's happening in my pseudo brain. And um, I, I opened my mouth and the words came out, Miriam, what a beautiful name. In the Injil, in the New Testament, Miriam is the one that taught us how to have real faith. And she said, really? Tell me all about it. <laughs> so I told her the story of Mary. When the Gabriel came to her and said, you're going to be with child, and she believed it and, and all this kind of stuff. It was cool, right? I do the story, and it was perfect. And then she said, how do you know all this stuff? And I said, uh, of course, at that time, I guess I was like 30-something years in Christ. And I said, I... I it's, it's like my hobby. I don't remember what I said. It's like, I really want to know God, and I have spent 30 years trying to learn all the stories of God, trying to learn as much about God as I can. She said, how did you get started on this journey? So I, I told her my testimony. I said, well, I was, my dad was an atheist, and we didn't believe in God, and blah, 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 blah. And I told her the story. Right? But where, where I got to the part about I heard the gospel... I heard it at an evangelical crusade. So I said, and then here's what the man said. So I inserted C to C right there. 
And she started crying when I got to the end. And I thought, oh, this doesn't happen very often. But I love it when this happens. Because I know that this is not me. I mean, so many times I tell the gospel and it's like just flat and nothing. Okay, but sometimes not. And she's crying. And um, so I got to the end. I said, would you like to repent of your sins and all this stuff? And she said, no, I don't think so. And I thought, that's probably smart. She's in a restaurant. People are watching her. She she's had an emotional experience. It's going to cost her everything. Maybe I'm just some kind of a, you know, a witch doctor or a, a hypnotist. And so she wants to think about it, right? So she said, "I will certainly." She said, "I will come to you tomorrow." Down and our camp is, you know, 200 yards away. She didn't show. She didn't show the next day. Well, I expected that, and it never works out the way that everybody is supposed to, you know. But. I couldn't figure out what should I do. Do I let it set or do I go find her? Which one do you think I did? You know, I just couldn't sit still. So I said, let's just take a walk in town. Of course, the town's a smaller, much smaller than this building. Um, of course, I think Memphis might be smaller than this building. <laughs> and let's go for a walk and let's kind of lean on her side of town. So we were on her side of town. Oh, 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 I didn't tell you the best part of the story. Okay, two ni- it was two nights, right? On the second night, this guy comes down after dark, and his name is Ahmed, and he goes, uh, can I talk to you? I said, yeah. He said, were you in a small African restaurant? Y'all, restaurant, please. It was not a restaurant. It was, but it's the only place where you can, somebody else will make food for you. So maybe technically it's a restaurant. But, I mean, dirt floors and a thousand flies and, you know, no refrigeration. It's like camping. So he said, were you in this restaurant? I said, yeah. He said, were you telling a story about Jesus? I thought, oh my gosh, I'm so busted. Because I was just blabbing. You know, I just figured, heck, why not get kicked out? I mean, you know, we were here for three months. We barely got to present the gospel. I just, I'm tired of trying to be clever. I'm just going to say what the right thing and just I'm just going to trust God and I do this a lot it's like I'm just going to trust God to take care of it and I'm okay with that and then things start to go a little sour and you start to worry was that a good idea so this guy says were you talking about Jesus I thought oh my gosh was that a good idea but it it is what it is I did the right thing and so if I go to jail why not and I said yes and the guy goes I believed everything you said I was the guy leaning against you on the other side of the curtain Can you tell me how to come to Christ, basically, within the hour he comes to Christ? Okay, so two days later, I'm tracking down Mama, and I'm in town, and she sees me, and she comes running, this big fat woman, and she grabs me, she's crying on me, and I'm I'm afraid to be touched by a Muslim woman. I'm just, we're not supposed to do that, right? I'm like, I don't know. And uh, so she's crying, and she goes, Dr. Chuck, Dr. Chuck, Dr. Chuck. And Fana's translating so fast, I just remember her saying the words. And she goes, the words that you said, she said, she said, I cannot sleep, I cannot eat, and I cannot even wash these clothes. The words that you said are like a knife through my heart. And I said, why didn't you come to me? She goes, I tried so many times to come to you. But there's this voice that's telling me, don't go down to Dr. Chuck. I said, oh, God wants you to come into his family, but Satan doesn't want you to. That's the voice of Shaitan. He's trying to. Pre- she said, "I thought so. I will surely come this afternoon." So she came that afternoon, and she cried and cried and cried. And so I said, "Mama, why are you crying so much?" I mean, we're, I just let. Her, I thought I'm gonna let her go. Well, some women just can't let her go. It's like at some point, like we're gonna have to rehydrate this woman. So after five minutes or so, I interrupted her. I don't know if that's breaking a rule, but I did. You know, never interrupt this. Don't wake. Let sleeping dogs lie. Let sleeping Muslim women cry. So I said, "Mama, why are you so upset?" And she looked up and she yelled, "Because, because they told me you were the godless ones. The people in town had said we're the ones without God." And and this voice from God was saying, "This is the truth." And she was ecstatic that she had found it. And we lost Mama for a while because. We, we all got run out because the war overran us and they took our car and they took our everything everything I built and in, in the dirt basically <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then we somebody ran into mama like a year or two later she's carrying a bible she's completely illiterate 
She's carrying a Bible. She has somehow she has a photograph of me and Thana and all these other people. <laughs> it's, it's probably those police camera things, right? Um, and uh, and she's now she's singing Jesus songs over people. So so that just tells you the power of the gospel, having the right tools. But the main thing is get into position to use them. You got to get out of America. You got to get into Darfur. You got to get into Chad, right, Molly? We got to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. All right, let me pray for you guys, and then I'm gonna let you loose. And any, anybody can email me that wants to, and I'll send you C to C, my Jesus story, seven, seven, what were they? Seven commands of Christ. Uh, I'll be happy to do that. I'll be happy to answer any of your questions the best I can. I mean. All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for these stories of uh, of how you work, and we thank you that you worked in our own life and that you changed us so radically. And we thank you that you changed Mama and that you changed Ahmed. And Father, we pray for these um, thousands of ethno-linguistic groups who have no access to this knowledge. And we pray that you'd be merciful to them and that you would delay your coming until they've had an opportunity here. Father, we do pray that you would help us to get from here to there. There's a lot of distance to be covered, and we're very weak and fragile um, and not confident beings. So we, we ask for your, uh, your power to help us. And we thank you that you have given us power through the Holy Spirit. We pray all these things in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, guys.